Hello and welcome to this talk from Hersham Baptist Church. My name's Phil, I'm the pastor of the church here. It's great to have you with us. We're here to provide good Christian resources to help us all to be courageous in mission, Bible-saturated, spirit-dependent and loving of others. If this is your first time or you're new here, please hit like and subscribe below to stay in touch. If this talk or any of the issues you're facing in life touches you and you'd like to talk to someone or pray with someone, please do get in contact with me through the uh, links in the show notes below or the links that have appeared on the screen. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to baptise you if you've never been baptised. We're going to continue looking at our series of talks, answering life's big questions. In the previous weeks, we've asked the question, why are we here? Who is God and how can we know the way? Today, I want to ask another big question, and that's this. Why care about the world? Why care about the world? Well, we're going to give an answer to that question that takes into account the Bible and science and philosophy in just a moment. But here's a sneak preview of the answer. Why care about the world? God loves the world, made the world, and has given it to us to care for. Why care about the world? God made the world, loves the world, and has given it to us to care for. Why care about the world? God made the world, loves the world, and has given it to us to care for. We can break this really big answer down into three smaller parts. I'm going to do that. First, God made the world. The Bible teaches that there is a creator who made us and everything else around us. Here are just a few of the amazing passages from the Bible that speak about our creator, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. What about this from St. John, who meditated on these verses from the beginning of the Bible and said, how does Jesus fit into this picture? He wrote this, he said, in the beginning was the Word. uh, John's code name for Jesus is the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that's been made. In him was life. And the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The biblical writers are not particularly interested in talking about the science of how the universe was made. 
They're answering the deeper questions of who we are, who made us, and why. They teach that we and the world we live in are not an accident. We're not the result of chance. We're not simply bits of matter floating in a cold, indifferent universe, indistinguishable from rocks and rubbish. Rather, we and our world are the intentional creations of a great creator. We and our world are the masterpieces of a brilliant artist. The biblical writers, the Christian fathers, teach that the first principle of the universe is not cold indifference, but love and light. Incidentally, this view that the universe has a creator fits exactly with what we learn from science and philosophy. Here's an example from the team of philosophers at reasonablefaith.org. You can check out any number of these videos uh, integrating science and religion and philosophy and explaining how they all speak of the same God at the beginning of everything. Does God exist? Or is the material universe all that is, or ever was, or ever will be? One approach to answering this question is the cosmological argument. It goes like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Is the first premise true? Let's consider. Believing that something can pop into existence without a cause is more of a stretch than believing in magic. At least with magic, you've got a hat and a magician. And if something can come into being from nothing, then why don't we see this happening all the time? No, everyday experience and scientific evidence confirm our first premise. If something begins to exist, it must have a cause. But what about our second premise? Did the universe begin? Or has it always existed? Atheists have typically said that the universe has been here forever. The universe is just there, and that's all. First, let's consider the second law of thermodynamics. It tells us the universe is slowly running out of usable energy. And that's the point. If the universe had been here forever, it would have run out of usable energy by now. The second law points us to a universe that has a definite beginning. This is further confirmed by a series of remarkable scientific discoveries. In 1915, Albert Einstein presented his general theory of relativity. This allowed us, for the first time, to talk meaningfully about the past history of the universe. Next, Alexander Friedman and George Lemaitre, each working with Einstein's equations, predicted that the universe is expanding. Then in 1929, Edwin Hubble measured the red shift in light from distant galaxies. This empirical evidence confirmed not only that the universe is expanding, but that it sprang into being from a single point in the finite past. It was a monumental discovery, almost beyond comprehension. However, not everyone is fond of a finite universe, so it wasn't long before alternative models popped into existence. But one by one, these models fail to stand the test of time. More recently, three leading cosmologists, 
Arvind Bord, Alan Guth and Alexander Vilenkin prove that any universe which has on average been expanding throughout its history cannot be eternal in the past but must have an absolute beginning. This even applies to the multiverse, if there is such a thing. This means that scientists can no longer hide behind a past eternal universe. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Any adequate model must have a beginning, just like the standard model. It's quite plausible then that both premises of the argument are true. This means that the conclusion is also true. The universe has a cause. And since the universe can't cause itself, its cause must be beyond the space-time universe. It must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, uncaused and unimaginably powerful. Much like God. The cosmological argument shows that, in fact, it is quite reasonable to believe that God does exist. The Bible, science and philosophy all point the same way. We and the world around us are the creatures of a creator. Everything about a Christian view of the world, therefore, looks back to that creator. Whenever we want to know what we should do or how we should live or what something should be like or what something's for, we look back to the creator. We look at the world he's made and we try to understand it. We we look at the words he's spoken and we try to follow them. It's a bit like operating a new gadget or phone or PlayStation. If we want to know how to use it and what it's for, we look at the words of the one who made it and they explain to us how it can be used, how it can be enjoyed, how it can live to its fullest extent. First thing, God made everything. Second, God loves what he has made. God loves his creation. He thinks it's good, very good, and he cares for it. This isn't just the care and love of someone who designed something and then sent it off into the universe in order to fend for itself. God loves and cares for his creation now. And that includes you and me. As Jesus once said, therefore I tell you, don't worry about life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you add a single hour to your life by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labour or spin. Yet I tell you, they're not even Solomon in all his glory was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? In other words, Jesus says, look how much God loves the world he's made. How much more does he love you? Or compare one of these poems we find in the Old Testament. All creatures look to you, God, to give them their food at their proper time. 
When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they're terrified. When you take away their breath, they return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they're created. And you renew the face of the ground. The implications of this are huge. It underpins everything we believe about how we should treat one another. For example, God's love and his care and provision extend to every single human being from the moment they are conceived. God loves us and treasures us and holds us before we've even been born. As it says in Psalm 139, another one of the great poems of the Old Testament, you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, David, the poet, knows better than anyone, given how many children he had, the uh, bodily mechanics of how children are born. He knows that they are born because uh, um, a husband and wife come together and they produce a child. But he's saying in this amazing poetical language, it's as if God is intimately involved in the creation and the design of every human life. He cares for it from the moment when it's inside his mother's womb. Moreover, this extends to everyone, irrespective of ethnicity, race, nationality or gender. As St Paul wrote to one of his churches that was struggling with racial and ethnic division, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptised into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, that's non-Jew, Neither slave, nor free, nor male, nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. St John captures this vision perfectly when he speaks of worship in heaven as being from every tribe and language and people and nation, all praising Jesus together. We are all, whatever our race or ethnicity, whatever the colour of our skin, creatures, of the same creator. We are all, whatever our race or ethnicity, whatever the colour of our skin, sinners who can be loved and redeemed by the same saviour. So second, therefore, God loves what he's made. And then third, God entrusts us with caring for his creation. As human beings, we have a unique responsibility for the way that we treat the uh, creation that God has made, including each other. In another of the Bible's poems, it says this, You have made human beings a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea, all all that swim in the paths of the seas. In other words, we're made from the same stuff as everything else. That's what the Genesis account keeps talking about. God keeps saying, God doesn't produce people and creatures and stuff from nowhere like the click of his fingers. He says, let the earth bring forth them. Life grows from other life, but... 
We're made from the same stuff as everything else, but we are different from everything else. Human beings are creatures like the rest of creation, yet we're also made in the image of God and responsible for the rest of creation. We have minds. We can imagine and love and laugh and cry and mourn and dream and repent and analyse. We have souls or spirits. And that brings with it huge responsibilities. It means we are responsible for managing the world around us, for bringing it to its full potential, for caring for it, for repairing it, for growing it, for bringing out its use, for governing it. We're responsible for caring for one another, protecting the world, filling it with children, acting justly, loving mercy and displaying the image of the God who created us. We were made to be creative like our creator. And we instinctively know this is true. Among other things, it explains why, uniquely amongst animals, we're concerned with distinguishing between right and wrong, between good and bad, in a way that no one else and nothing else does. We have a conscience, we have a mind, we're responsible. All this makes sense because we're not just part of a creation. We are designed and called to bear God's image, to be his representatives in creation. Why care about the world? God made the world, loves it, and has given it to us to care for. What does all this mean for us, for how we should live? Well, first, we should care for the world. We shouldn't abuse creation. Destroying the environment needlessly is a failure to care for what we have been given. Being unnecessarily cruel to animals and destroying their habitats is failing to respect creatures in the way that God does. These two insights, that the world is made by a creator who loves it and has given it to us to care for, is at the root of a good and wholesome care for the environment and for the animal world. We should give ourselves to doing science and engineering, to producing literature and art. The Jewish and Christian view of God and creation is at the root of modern experimental science. Nobel Prize winner in biochemistry, Melvin Calvin, put it like this. As I try to identify the origin of the conviction that science is possible, I seem to find it in a basic notion, namely that the universe is governed by a single God. Or as C.S. Lewis put it, men became scientific because they expected law in nature, and they expected law in nature because they believed in a legislator. We were made in the image of God who creates. And so we should do science. We should invent things. We should go to work. We should paint. We should build and create and explore. All of these things are part of what human beings are made to do. We should have families and fill the earth with children as they bear the image of their heavenly father as surely as they bear the physical image of their earthly parents. Second, we should care for one another. We should care for one another. We should look out for one another. 
particularly for those God has given us to care for, families, friends, neighbours and nations. You know, it's easy to talk about these big picture ideas, but let me ask you a question. How are you doing at caring for your neighbours? How are you doing at praying for your friends, at providing for them, at buying shopping for them, at asking them how they're doing, at providing a listening ear for them, at speaking to them about Jesus? Moreover, we should resist the exploitation and abuse of the weak. And this comes in many, many forms. But two seem particularly poignant at the moment. The first is racism and modern-day slavery. God cares for all people, irrespective of race, nationality or ethnicity. It's written throughout the Bible. So how can we justify discriminating against someone because of their skin colour or their place of origin? or their parents' place of origin. But let me ask another uncomfortable question. What are we doing about modern slavery? What are we doing to resist the exploitation of people of colour now, not just in the West, but across the world? To praying and supporting our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and across Africa, where they're being exploited and taken as slaves even as we speak. What are we doing about that? God cares for all people from the moment they're conceived. We've seen it. It's written throughout the scriptures. We've read it beautifully expressed in that poem. So how are we caring for the unborn? How can we possibly justify treating an unborn child any differently than we do from a full creature and child of God? God cares for and loves this individual even while they are in their mother's womb. Finally, we should worship. We are created to do all of this, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You begin that journey of worship and restoration of relationship with God, of coming into all that God has for you by coming to Jesus, by trusting him, saying you're sorry for the way you've lived in the past, and by being baptised into his church. So the final message from this talk is come to Christ. God loves you. He wants you to bear his image in the world. He has a work for you to do. So repent and be baptised and get on with doing it. Why care about the world? God made the world, loves it, and has given it to us to care for. Father, we pray that we would be equipped, filled with your spirit, and sent out in the world to love it, to care for it, to do all of the good things you've given us to do, to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves, and to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Please do stay tuned. We've got a great series of songs that will help us to respond to this in sung worship. Again, if you'd like prayer, please do get in contact with me. Mm -hmm.